We're in week three of The Greatest Showman. Welcome to United. My name is Ryan, and tonight is called The Other Side. And this scene that we just watched, um, Hugh Jackman's talking to Zach, and he's like, um, he's trying to convince him to come join the circus. And uh, the reason why he wants him to join the circus is that Zach Efron in the movie is... Uh, was a, from an elite rich family, high class. He did theater and opera and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, so uh, Hugh Jackman's trying to get rich people and the high class people to start coming to the circus because right now, at this point, he's not reaching them yet. And so he's trying to get him in on the whole business. And, uh, and, the, re- and the way he tries to convince him is he just points to the fact that Zac Efron in the movie really doesn't like his life. He's kind of bored by it. He doesn't really like all the high class just crap and garbage that he, he deals with. He doesn't really even like his family. And, and, he, and he tries to convince him to come to another side, something different, something that is full of passion and full of uh, uh, just a different type of life that he's not experiencing at that moment. And, uh, and as you see, he, he says yes to go from this side of like rich, elite, uh, kind of the, the high-class parties and everything to going to this, this circus that's like new and upstart and like everybody's going to the show and it's exciting, but it's a little bit kind of weird and, and different. And, and, and he's convinced to try out this other side that Hugh Jackman wants him to join him on. And, and the reason why, um, or the thing that this reminds me most of from, um, from really the, the story of Jesus and, and, and the Bible is the fact that there are two sides in, in our universe. There's two sides in our world, and this affects all of us. Uh, people that are in this room right now, people that are not in this room, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we are all affected by these two sides. And the two sides are, there's the side of the world, and there's the side of God. And, um, and when I say the world, and when the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about uh, people necessarily. It's not talking about like nature and uh, mountains and streams and ocean. It, it's like the actual world. He's he's talking about um, sin. He's talking about uh, the things of of Satan, the things that draw us away from God. And, and so that's what they they mean when they say the world, as we are speaking about it tonight. And so the two, the two sides um, are the world and God. And here's, here's the interesting thing about these two things. Even though God created the world, the world is in direct opposition to God. The world is in direct opposition to God. The things of the world, Satan's sin, are in direct opposition to God. And John, um, in the in the book of 1 John, um, talks about, about this a little bit. John was one of the disciples. He's very close to Jesus. He writes these, these books, uh, these last few books, like at the end of his life. He's old. Uh, he's looking back on everything, and he's thinking about what he would say to people uh, as they follow God and what's really important. So in these books, they're very short. They're very to the point. They're very direct. He doesn't beat around the bush and, and add in a lot of like extra uh, language. He just kind of says it like it is. Maybe, maybe you have like a grandparent that's kind of like that. Just kind of says it like it is. Like I'm too old to worry about what you think. So that's kind of the, the, the mode he's in at this point. And we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 2. And he's going to talk about how the world is in direct opposition to God. Here's what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love, a love for the Father is not in them. Now, I just want you to notice one thing. It doesn't say God doesn't love them, okay? It doesn't say God doesn't love them. It says the love of the Father is not, or the love for the Father is not in them. So, in other words, if they love the world, they really don't love God. He continues, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from 
God, but from the world. So we saw there's like these two, these two different sides. And, and he's saying these things come from the world, not from God. And the world and its desires, the things that we want, they're going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He's, he's telling us the world is the opposite of God. It's in direct opposition to God. If you walk towards the world, you're walking away from God. If you walk towards God, you're walking away from the world and you cannot do both. Jesus said it this way. He said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you're going to love one and hate the other. Or you're going to hate one and love the other. Either way, like you can't love both of them. And ultimately the world will always pull us from God. Not only does it just pull us from God, it will actually um, really kind of ruin our lives. And we're gonna get into that a little bit. But I wanna look more at, um, at a few more scriptures that speak about this, this kind of idea of how the world is, is opposite and in opposition to God. In Romans 12, 2, Paul is writing and he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what Paul is saying is, don't be like the world. Be transformed. Why would we need, we, we need to be transformed? Because the world is in opposition to God. And he says, if you, could, if you are transformed, then you will know God. So leave the world and you'll know God better. The next verse is John 16, This is Jesus speaking. And he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So in Jesus, we have peace. In God, we have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So there it is right there. Jesus is saying, in me, peace. In the world, trouble. Complete opposites because they are opposing forces. But he says, take heart, take courage, be encouraged because I have overcome the world. Why would he need to overcome the world if they were on the same side? They're not. They're against each other. We use the word overcome like in sports when we're like one team overcame the 20-point deficit. They say that because um, they overcame the opposing team, the opposing force. The next verse is Mark 8, 36. Again, it's Jesus speaking, and he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit or lose their soul? Here's the point he's making. When we gain the world, we might lose our soul. Why? Because we walk towards the world and we walk away from God. They're opposing forces. We cannot deny it. The Bible talks about it over and over. Jesus talked about it. His followers talked about it. They said, if you are living in this world, which we all are, you have the temptation to go towards the things of the world or the things of God. These are the two sides and we have to pick the side that we want to live on. And here's why Jesus came. Just like Hugh Jackman's trying to show a side of life to Zach in the movie, he's trying to show us Something Jesus came to show us a side of life that is better than anything the world can offer. Because here's, here's what the world offers. The world, it's, it's, Halloween, or it's Halloween season. It's October. It's a couple weeks away. Um, uh, the, the world uh, offers tricks. Now, they, they disguise them as treats. They seem great. Wow, look at that, look at that shiny new object, that, that, that shiny new car, that relationship, that, that, uh, that experience. We look at these things that the world puts on, uh, on marketing and advertising and that our friends do and that we see uh, when we're watching movies and all that kind of stuff. We look at these and we say, wow, they look amazing. And the world disguises things and says, yes, this will make you happy. This will make your life better. 
but then we get it. Maybe not right away, sometimes right away, but at some point we realize we were tricked. We were trapped. We thought it was going to give us one thing. We thought it was going to make us feel one way, but it actually did something else. It didn't benefit us. It hurt us. It, it actually took something away from us. And that's kind of the dilemma is that the way of the world seems great. However, it'll hurt you. And the way of God doesn't always seem so great. It seems a little bit like, I don't know if I want that. But when we experience it, it will surpass all of our expectations. And so this, this sermon tonight is kind of like a sequel to the, the sermon we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus comes to bring us life. Uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of focus on that life that Jesus brings and just look at a couple of the differences between Jesus and the world. We're going to look at these differences between these two sides because if we're going to make a decision on which side we're going to live on, for now and for eternity, maybe we should be informed. Maybe we should understand what we're choosing in actuality. So the first one is this. Jesus offers peace while the world offers worry. Jesus offers peace and the world offers worry. Jesus in, uh, in the book of, of Matthew chapter 6, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and body more than clothes? And then he's going to give us these examples. He says, do you look at like birds? Like, look at the birds. I mean, they fly around and they don't have savings accounts and they're not worried and, and they're not uh, staying up at night worrying about the next day. And yet God takes care of them and they're just birds. Aren't you worth more than them? And then he gives us another example. He says, and we worry about clothes and, and then like, and like, look at the flowers. Like if you've ever driven through like North Carolina or something during the spring and you see these wildflowers all on the side of the road and they're beautiful. Look at the flowers, he says. They are beautiful, even more beautiful than anything a king could wear. And yet, one day they're here, the next day a mower goes over them and they're gone. Or someone just burns them in a fire and it's gone. If grass can look that beautiful without trying and without worrying, how much more will your heavenly father clothe you? And then in verse 31, he says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, let me tell you what the pagans were. Pagans are essentially the people that did not believe in God, the people that chased after the world. So we could just replace pagan with the world. For the world runs after all these things. And your heavenly father knows you need them. He created us. He kind of knows we need to eat. He kind of knows we need clothes. He kind of knows uh, that we, what our needs are. And then Jesus says this, which seems kind of weird to us, and it's definitely different than what the world offers. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. The world says, seek first your kingdom. Seek first your righteousness. Seek first what you get and what you earn and what you want. And then everything's going to take care of itself. And we know that's not the truth. And I don't know about you, but like for me, sometimes um, I just start thinking, my, my mind starts going when I'm in bed at night and I just start worrying about stuff. And I just have to, I have to, I have to take that opportunity to just seek God. And sometimes I'll just say a simple prayer, God, help me not worry, help me trust you, help me just go to sleep and I'll deal with it in the morning. And you'd be surprised how quickly God answers a simple prayer like that when we seek him. Here's what happens when we seek God. When we seek God, when we're looking to God, the problems around us are all still there. But somehow they just feel smaller. 
Because you know what happens when we look at all the problems? They become bigger. They become giants. We're like, oh my gosh, school and, and work and money and my friends and my family. I'm surrounded by giants. I'm surrounded by these struggles. And then all you do is just worry and worry and worry. And we know like scientifically worry and stress actually takes time off your life. Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add one hour to your life? No, actually you're going to lose hours off your life when you worry. It's not going to get you anywhere. It doesn't do anything. He says, seek God first. And those other things, they're still there. You still have to do some work. You still have to study. You still have to go to work. You still have to deal with the relationships and deal with the conversations. You still have to do all that. But if you focus on God, all the other stuff starts to just take care of itself. It starts to just seem a little smaller. Why? Because you are not trusting yourself. If you're making all the decisions, that's going to be very stressful. But if God's making the decisions, all of a sudden it's like, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I trust that God's going to take care of this. I'm going to do what I can, and I'm going to trust God with the rest. But I'm not going to sit here wasting my life worrying about it. If you, if you flip over to John, uh, if you have a Bible, but it'll be up on the screen. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus also has another verse about peace and about the world. And here's what he says. Peace I leave with you. He's about to go. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So what he's saying is there are two different things. I don't give to you like the world gives to you. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What he's saying is don't worry. Don't stress. See, Jesus offers peace while the world offers worry. And if you follow after Jesus, you can live a life of faith instead of stress. Here's the second one. Jesus offers love while the world offers hate. Jesus offers love while the world offers hate. I know that most of you are not on Facebook, but old people are. And all old people do is just argue with each other on Facebook. And, and the reason why I say that is because that's just a, a picture of what our society is like. We are just full of hatred. People hate each other and get mad at each other over politics and religion and race and nations and sports and, and opinions and every, music, everything. They just, they just are, are raging against one another. We see people marching in the streets because they feel as if other people are not paying attention to them. We see people that have nothing and, and are impoverished by governments. We see governments fighting each other. We see government or people within the same nations fighting each other in civil wars. We see hatred everywhere. We see crime. Crime rates in America are crazy. We see people killing each other, like raping each other, stealing from one another, hurting one another. Why? Where does that come from? The world is just so full of hatred. And I know what you might think. You might think, well, there's love in the world too. And you're right. There is love in the world. But so often the world's version of love is so little and so uh, inferior to God's love. Because here's what the world says. Love the people who are like you. Love your family. Love your friends. Love the people who love you back. That, here's what this leads to, that kind of love. It leads to hate. Because what do you do to people who aren't like you? What do you do to people who don't treat you the right way? What do you do to the people that aren't in your family? You mistreat them. And you learn, I'm supposed to love these people and hate these people. This is what the world teaches. Again, love does not come naturally to the world. Jesus came and he said, love your enemies. This was a new idea. 
Nobody had ever said this. He grew up and was living in a time where like empires just came through. They burned down cities. They took the healthy people to be slaves and they killed everybody else. That's what they did. And they would go from nation to nation to nation. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, they all did this. They, they, they lived on this kind, of, this kind of lifestyle of hate. And then Jesus comes and he says, love your enemies. Jesus comes and in Matthew chapter 22, someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God, but there's a second one. And it's part of the first one. They're the same thing. There's just a two-part answer. It's love the Lord your God, but also love your neighbor. Later, someone would say, well, who's my neighbor? Surely it's not, it's not everybody. And he would say, well, your neighbor, he would tell this story and he would say, well, basically your neighbor is the person you hate the most, the person that you are the most against. That's who you should love. See, he talked to these people, even the people of God, the Jewish people had a law that they had grown up with that said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What this meant was if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. This was a worldly kind of love. You love the people who love you. You hate the people who hate you. You defeat the people who you don't like. And that's what the world offers. That's what came. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, you should love, love other people no matter what. You may say, well, we see nonprofits today. We see all these, we see hospitals and missionaries and and people that go help people after hurricanes and all this stuff. Do you know where that comes from? It's not all Christians. No, 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 I'm not gonna say that. But this, this idea in our culture today that we should care about other people, that we should value other people, that other people matter, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from, no matter what nation they're from or whatever, that idea did not come from the world. It came from Jesus. He came and he said, all people have value. Kids have value. Women have value. The sick have value. Everyone has value. He said, you should love other people. The early Christians, they, they went around and they picked up kids that were left in the forest to die because they were female or because they were sick or because they, they didn't want them. And this was allowed at the time. They would go out there. They would gather up these kids and they would take them in as their own. Nobody else did this. Why did they do it? Because Jesus taught it. When the, when, the, when the black plague came through, or not the black plague, but, well, even the black plague, but, but d- different plagues would come through. Like the people that stayed in town and put themselves in the, the, the way of death were the Christians. Why did they do this? Not because the world told them to. Everybody else ran away. They stayed because their master told them to. Because Jesus taught them that was the way. The reason why we have a lot of values in America and in the world today, why we say we should take care of people, we should take care of people, people should have health care, people should be taken care of if their, their husband dies or their wife dies, like, like people should be taken care of, that comes from Jesus. That did not come from the world. And he offers this love while the world offers hate, or at the very least, a very conditional love. Here's the third thing. Jesus offers selflessness while the world offers selfishness. Now, this is the one where you might say like, oh, I'm all for peace, I'm all for love, but selflessness, eh, that doesn't sound so hot for me. And this is why. Because the world tells us you need to be selfish to get what you want. And, and selfishness is something I, I struggle with a lot. And, and, and here's what I've learned about selfishness. When I'm selfish, I do get what I want. And my world gets smaller. And I have to hold on to things tightly. And I get little things here and there. And my, word, my heart becomes shriveled up and, and, like, and it just gets smaller and smaller and it hurts relationships and it hurts myself and it hurts the people around me, hurts my relationship with God. 
And Jesus came on the scene and he said, there's a better way. Instead of trying to be great, be the least. Instead of trying to get, why don't you give? Instead of trying to be served, why don't you go and serve? Again, these were things that his disciples were like, what are you talking? Wash other people's feet? Come on, Jesus. That's for the, for the slaves. That's for the servants. And Jesus said, no, that's for followers of me. We need to be selfless. And here's where I see this in action every year. Every year, we have about 150 students that go on mission trips. And they give us money, or their parents' money. They give us money so that they can go and eat food they don't like, sleep in a place they don't like, be uncomfortable, and work for other people. They don't pay the money to go on a cruise or to go on vacation. They pay the money to go help other people. And if selflessness didn't work, they'd go once and they'd never come again. What happens every year? You guys know, for those of you who've been on mission trips, you keep coming back. Why? Because you've realized when you do what Jesus said, it's better. You go on these trips and you're like, man, I can't get enough. You're done with Albany, now it's time to go to, uh, to Jamaica. Now it's time to go back home and go to Jackson. Like, I want to experience more selflessness. Because what happens when you serve? You realize, wow, this is what we were made to do. This is so much better. You, when you're selfless, like you meet more people, you develop better relationships, your world becomes bigger, your perspective becomes bigger, you see more than you ever would have seen when you're selfish, and you're just freer. When, you live, like, when you're living in this world of selfishness, like you're totally not free. You are trapped in your own little prison cell of selfishness. But when you are selfless, you can see the world in a totally different way. And those of you who've gone on mission trips, you know it. You've experienced it. You've gone and done it and been like, oh my gosh, that was the best experience of my life. That was so much better than a vacation. That was so much better than anything else. And then you count down six months, three months, two months, one month until the next mission trip because you are that excited to go and give yourself away. Jesus offers selflessness, a selflessness that will change your life versus a selfishness that will shrink your world. Here's the last thing. Jesus offers forgiveness while the world offers condemnation. Jesus offers forgiveness while the world offers condemnation. There's this famous story where, um, where Jesus is, is out in the town and, and they bring forward this, this girl, this woman, who they say was caught in the act of adultery, which means they caught her having sex with someone who was not her husband. I don't know how they caught her. That's, that's kind of weird. But they, 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 they trapped her or they, they went and dragged her out of a room, probably naked, into the middle of town. Everybody's watching and they say, well, we're supposed to kill her. Here's what they started doing. They started picking up rocks and stones, not like little pebbles. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna skip a rock. Like big old rocks that you wanna hurt someone with. And they say, what we should do is kill her. That's what she's earned. She is been, has been condemned. So she dies. And they would throw rocks at the person until their body stopped living. Their internal organs shut down. Their heart stopped beating. They bled out or their brain was crushed or their head or their skull was crushed. That's what happened. That's like literally what happened. They just keep throwing rocks until the person could not move until the person died. That's what they said. Hey, Jesus, this is what we should do, right? And Jesus said, okay, all right. Whoever hasn't done anything wrong, throw the first rock. And he just waited. And all of a sudden, the yelling quieted down. The rocks start dropping. And the people start leaving. It says the old guys left first because they realize, yeah, he's right. And then it's just Jesus and the woman. 
And she says, well, what about you? And he has this famous line. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus didn't bring to condemn. or Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to forgive. And here's something I, I want you guys to kind of be aware of, because I know you might hear this and you say, yeah, but I've been, I've been condemned by Christians. I've been condemned by church. I've been condemned by people that say they love Jesus. Here, here's something very important. And if you know this, it'll help you a lot as you follow Jesus throughout your life. Because I've seen a lot of people fall victim to this, this kind of uh, misthinking. You are not following Christians. You're not following pastors. You're not following your life group leader. You're not following evangelicals or whatever they talk about on the news. You are following Jesus. Jesus is the savior, not me, not you, not your life group leader, not your mom or your dad, not some really good Christian at school. Jesus is the savior. So we don't look to Christians to be God. We look to God to be God. And while Christians should be better and churches should be better, and that's why we talk so much about the way we live and our witness and the way we treat people, the reality is we fall short all the time. But Jesus didn't. And he looked at this woman who the world said, condemn her. And he said, I forgive her. And that's what the world does. They glorify these things and then they condemn you when it happens. They glorify drinking and drugs and partying and all this stuff. And they put it in movies and social media and all that stuff. And we think, this is great. And then when you get addicted, what do they do? Man, he's a, he's a screw up. He's a crackhead. He, he's a drunk. Like she, she, she's so, like she's messed up her whole life and they condemn the thing that at first they glorified. The world glorifies sex, but as soon as a girl gets pregnant in high school, what happens? They condemn her. That's what the world does. I can't believe, what a slut. Well, I can't believe she did that. She is so nasty. I can't believe she would do that. While everybody else is doing the same things, right? Because the world condemns, but Jesus forgives. At your deepest, darkest time, even when you give into the world and you mess up and you come into ruin and you're like, I have no one else and everybody else leaves you, Jesus says, I forgive you. When you're sitting there and the whole town's looking at you wanting to kill you, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I forgive her. And then he tells her to go and sin no more. I wanna close with this. this is, there's this interaction. There's actually two interactions that, that look exactly like the scene from The Greatest Showman. With, with, with Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron as they're talking. Jesus goes and he offers another side to two different guys. The first guy is a fisherman and he goes out by the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching and, and he sees this guy mending his nets and he says, hey man, why don't you go out and, uh, and catch some, some fish in the deep water? And the guy's like, listen man, we've been, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. And we don't fish in the deep water because nets don't go to the deep water. They, they're for the shallow water. He says, no, go deep. And fish. And he's like, okay, whatever. So they go back out there in the middle of the day. There ain't no fish out there. They're in the deep of the water. Their nets don't reach that low. And they throw out the nets. They're like, oh gosh, this guy. And then they start pulling up the greatest catch they've ever seen. It says they call over their friends and they load up both boats until the boats are sinking. And it says that Peter falls to his knees and he's like, oh my goodness, you're God. Like, like I have messed up. I have gone the wrong direction. And then Jesus says, come and follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men, which had to make no sense to, to Peter. He's like, I, I fish for fish. What are, you, what are you talking about fishing for men? That, that's weird. But like, he's like, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to show you what that's about. Come and follow me. And it says that Peter, who's the guy he was talking to, Peter left everything he had. And he followed after Jesus. 
He left his family. He left his, his money. He left his boat. He left his livelihood. He left his routine. He left a, a, a year's supply or two years supply of fish that he could have sold and be, become rich. He leaves that to follow after Jesus. And then a few years later, Jesus comes up to this other guy, maybe the same age. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. And he says, hey, how, how can I become a, a, a follower of you? How, how can I become saved? How can I go to heaven? What do I have to do? Jesus says, well, what's the law say? And he starts listing off some laws. And, he, and then the guy's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done all of that. I did all that stuff. So what he's saying to Jesus is, yeah, I've never messed up. And she's like, oh, okay. All right, let's think. First, first uh, commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, um, okay, okay. If you've never messed up, leave all your stuff, sell all your stuff and come follow me. Because he knew something. This man had, a, had another God. That God was his money. That God was his stuff. The, the money and the stuff weren't bad. It, the bad thing was that he was putting that in front of God. And so the man says, it says the man was sad. He put down his head and he was sad and he went away from Jesus because he was in love with his stuff. And here's something that's very important. Jesus told this man to follow him. Jesus didn't tell everyone to follow him. The woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. The man that was a demon-possessed man, he said, go and tell your family and your friends what I've done for you. He didn't invite everybody to be a disciple. He didn't invite everyone to follow, but he invites this man and the man says no. Maybe that's why we don't know his name. We just get a rich young ruler. He was just some guy who had a lot of money. He came to Jesus and then he said, "Uh, nah, I'm not gonna follow you. And he went away. But guess whose name we do know? Peter. He got the same offer. He had to leave something to go to another side, to go to another life. He had to leave behind something to go somewhere else. We know Peter's name. Peter's an author of some of the, some of the books in this, in this thing we call the Bible. And Peter was the, known as the first pope of the church. And Peter's got a cathedral in Rome built over his bones. And people name their kids Peter 2,000 years later. And people know Peter. He's one of the most famous people in the history of the world. Why? Because he said yes. Because he simply said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave what I had and I'm gonna come follow after you, Jesus. I wanna, I wanna take a look at the, the lyrics from, uh, from the first line that Hugh Jackman sings to Zac Efron. Can we get those lyrics up? There we go. Listen, I just want you to imagine, because these are, these are like, I know this isn't in the Bible, and I know this is a song from a movie, but these are the words that Jesus calls to us. These are the words he's calling to us right now. He says, right here, right now, I put the offer out. I don't want to chase you down, although he'll never stop chasing, but he's not going to make us do what, what, what we should do. He's going to give us the choice. He says, I don't want to chase you down. I know you see it. You run with me and I will cut you free. I will set you free out of the drudgery and walls you keep in. So trade that typical for something colorful. And if it's crazy, live a little crazy. You can play it sensible. You can be like the rest of the world a king of conventional, or you can risk it all and see. This is the call of Jesus. This is essentially what he told Peter. 
This is essentially what he told the rich young ruler. You can risk it all and you can see another side. You can see something different. You can see something that would change your perspective and change your life and change your relationships and change your eternity. Or you can just keep on going the way you're going. You can just keep on going with the world. Jesus is calling us right now. You can risk it all and see. Some of you in this room, you're Christians, you follow Jesus, but but let's be honest, you're kind of straddling the line. You're saying, "Ah, I'm kind of over here with God, but sometimes I want to come over here with Jesus or or with the the world. And maybe maybe some days I'm doing both. Maybe at Epworth, I'm like, oh yeah, God, you're cool. And then I'm right back to the world. And I just kind of go back and forth. And we wonder why our lives feel so up and down and side to side. Maybe it's because we're trying to live in two worlds. We're trying to serve two rulers. We're trying to be in two different camps at one time. And Jesus is saying, risk it all and see. I'm not gonna make you do it. But if you will risk what you have in the world, you will see something far greater on the other side. Not just in your life, but for the rest of eternity. So if you're in this room and you're following Jesus, I wanna encourage you to call upon him, to ask to help you out of this fence straddling world, this, this back and forth and back and forth and to follow after him more closely, to risk some of the world things and follow after him. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life over to Christ and you've heard about him, but maybe you thought, eh, I'm not really about that. I'm not about religion. I'm not about the Bible. I don't wanna do what God wants me to do. I just wanna live my life. Maybe, maybe tonight you heard some things from, 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 the, from the word or, or from some of the things that Jesus offers versus the world and you're like, you know what? I'm ready to risk it all and see. I'm ready to say no to the world so I can say yes to Jesus. I don't wanna be like the rich young ruler who just stays with my stuff and nobody knows me and nothing happens with my life and I just go on living my selfish, self-centered life. I want to be like Peter. I wanna step out and it may not be easy and I may not become famous and I may not become rich and everything's not gonna be perfect. I'm going to have trouble, but I'm gonna have God with me through it all. If that's you and you wanna follow after Jesus, I wanna give you the opportunity to do it tonight. Not because uh, you're in this room or because there's music playing or because I'm talking. That's not, that, that, that doesn't give you the opportunity um, to follow after Jesus. You make the choice. You can make the choice now, you can make it later, but I wanna give you the opportunity now. And Jesus Jesus is calling on you now. And so bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you say, man, I'm ready to follow after Jesus. I'm ready to do something different. I'm ready to see the other side. I wanna encourage you to pray a prayer with me, believing it in your heart. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you say it with your mouth, that you will be saved. It's about faith and grace, not about what you do, not about how many many things you know from the Bible, how many things, church services you've gone to. It's about faith in Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in a few minutes or in a few seconds here and, and, uh, and, and just wanna ask you, if you're, if you're in here and you feel like God's working on your heart and he's calling you to him and you wanna follow after him, I just wanna encourage you to, to say yes. And this is a decision only you make. I'm gonna to count to three. I'm gonna ask you if that's you, raise your hand and then pray this prayer with me. I want you to remember the moment you said yes to Jesus on October 21st, 2018. I want you to remember the moment you put up your hand and said, yeah, I, I wanna follow after that guy. I, I don't wanna follow after the world. And then pray this prayer with me, either out loud or in the, in the quiet of your heart. So on the count of three, one, two, 
Three, raise your hand. Raise your hand and pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've chased after the world, but I want to chase after you. I know you are the son of God. I know you died for me and rose again. I ask for your forgiveness and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender all I am to you. I want to risk it all and see the life you have for me. In your name I pray. Amen.